If you're an athlete, you know the greatest motivator of all is the fear of letting your teammates down. After all, a team is only as good as its weakest link. So you owe it to those wearing the same jersey as you to be your best every time you step on the field. That's why there's no vape in team. When you vape, you can expose your lungs to toxic chemicals that can damage your lungs. If you're a step behind, the team's a step behind. Brought to you by The Real Cost and the FDA. Hey, everybody. Before I start this week's episode, I just want to talk to you about Elias Software. Elias Software is providing high-quality tools and services, bridging the gaps between game developers, sound designers, and music composers. With a modern and fast workflow and deep game engine integration, Elias Audio Tools enable unprecedented creative control. If you're looking for real-time audio feedback for music and sound effects for your game, you want to check EliasSoftware.com and get on with what's hot right now. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the number one podcast about game development and the lifestyle thereof. I am your host, Brandon Pham, and with me, a special guest, Pontus Mahler. How are you doing? Doing great. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm excited to be on the podcast and you know, talk about random things in the gaming industry. And uh, yeah, I'll do a quick intro of myself. So uh, basically, my name is Pontus Slap Mahler. And uh, for the last 12 years or so, I've been in the gaming industry. I started off as a volunteer uh, for a game development company in the U.S. called S2 Games uh, for a game called Here's of New Earth. And shortly after that, I was actually a professional gamer as well as a video game consultant for game design. And that's the initial part of my career. I've been doing Twitch, travel all over the world, YouTube, podcasts such as yourself and other things of the sort for about eight years uh, full time. I did professional gaming until I retired about three, four years ago and ultimately took my game design and game development consulting business into uh, esports and everything around it. And about two to three years ago, I joined this lovely company, GTR. And I'm currently the director of business development for Global Top Round, aka GTR, and Game Round, aka G Round. One of the companies, GTR, is an investment slash accelerator, and the second company is a software platform where we offer services for game developers. So yeah, I'm looking forward to chatting with you about yeah whatever topics we got today. Well, I'm gonna recycle the same jokes. So one from one podcast <laughs> to another. No worries. <laughs> and to talk to someone and uh, not have to have a dull moment, which is one of the, you know, podcast nightmares, right? So uh, it's great, yes. man. It sounds like you have a long career, um, especially with communities and building up communities. Um, and, and now you're, you're working with uh, GTR. And can you uh, mention one more time what GTR stands for and yeah. uh, go a little bit more in depth of what you guys usually do and how long you guys been around? Sure thing. I'll do a, an elevator pitch. So basically, yeah, our name is Global Top Round. We are a global investment slash accelerator company, uh, initially founded in Korea, uh, then expanding globally. And to date, we have invested in over 40 uh, game development companies uh, all over the world in 27 countries, actually. So we really do stretch kind of everywhere. Uh, we've built up a model that no other accelerator has, which we're very excited about. And we would you know, qualify ourselves as one of the top accelerators in the world for sure. And the way that we gather projects is that every single year, we invest in 10 game studios. Uh, it has to be video games. You need to have a playable build, pitch deck, and everything, of course. Um, but we uh, do not do... Actually, let me backtrace. So <laughs> we get about two to 300 applicants per year uh, from 48 countries last year, 50 to the year before that, I think. And basically, you do everything through our website, globaltopround.com. And it's actually live right now. So if you are an indie studio looking for investment, it's a great way to, to get into the, the business and having someone on your side. Um, but yeah, we attend podcasts. We attend uh, offline events, digital events, of course. We do a lot of speaker sessions because we want people to get to know us 
not just a, uh, you know, the company itself. We want for you to understand who the people uh, that you're going to be working with are. So we try to, you know, show ourselves as much as we can. And we work a lot uh, with governments. And uh, at usually October, November each year-ish, that's when we close our applications and we then do our so-called GTR annual conference. So the GTR annual conference is basically the uh, finalization of our scouting throughout the year. So during, you know, the, well, eight to nine months of the year, we're scouting, we're meeting a lot of awesome developers. Uh, some of you might listen to this and, you know, some of, uh, some of them we can find randomly on Reddit. Some of them reach out like a, a bunch of different funnels and we pick the top 20. So once we have the top 20 companies that we find to be, you know, the best games that we can find, we pay for your flight, we pay for your hotel, and we ship you off to our conference, which is in a different location every year. Uh, for example, two years ago, we were in Malaysia, last year in Korea, and this year we're going to be in Malta, actually. Uh, normally, we would have closed our program by now and announced our investments probably in four weeks from now. But due to COVID, of course, and being an investor, it's important for us to meet you. But not only that, for you to meet us, because, you know, we're going to be involved with you. We're going to be doing business together. And we want you to, you know, appreciate our company. If you don't like me and I don't like you, let's not do business together, right? And uh, once you arrive to, to Malta in this particular year, uh, we have a two-day event where the first day you have the 20 studios, of course. Then you have our team. And then you have 30 to 60 publishers and investors. I say 30 to 60 because normally we have about 30 partners. Uh, we have over 50 signed, actually. But 30 is usually the amount that we get to the conference. But last year, we were 60. So there were every single AAA company you can think of that is on our partner list were there, which was absolutely awesome. Uh, this year, of course, due to COVID, I'm not so sure, but we're hoping to bring 20 to 30 of the partners there. The goal is, you know, that uh, number one, we're going to pick our investments, but also if you don't get picked by us, then at least you got like one-on-one face-to-face with these publishers and investors, and you might make make a deal without us. And that's actually happened four times now or five times. So sometimes, you know, we pick, uh, we pick the wrong studio. It happens. And, you know, one of our partners uh, picked them up. So first day, pitching day. Second day, demo day, everyone who attends gets to play the games, gets to vote. So you can get your vote for who you think we should invest in. And at the end of the second day, we announce the top 10. Now, after the top 10, we fly out to all of your studios. We want to meet you in person where one day is kind of like a catch up, get to know each other, no business talk. Uh, one of our French studios last year took us on a wine cruise. Uh, one of our Bulgarian studio took us to the beach. You know, it doesn't really matter. The point is that we just want to talk like this. You know, being on a like a podcast format where we're just talking back and forth and, you know, nothing's really going on and everything's going on at the same time. We kind of like that style. And the second day is all business going over your company documents, your business plan, everything. And if it all checks out, you know, uh, three to four weeks later, you'll have the first cash in your bank. But what we actually do and what differentiates us from other accelerators is that, number one, everything is done digitally. And number two, you have access to us 24-7 through Discord. So we manage all of our investments through there. And you can actually talk to all of our investments too. So it's not just that us and you having a private channel. All current 47 of you and soon to be 57 uh, will be able to speak to each other at any point in time, help each other out, give each other advice, etc. And then, of course, you have access to us. And what we do is that we help you with fundraising. We do not have a finder's fee, to be very clear right away. Uh, we help you with either, you know, of course, our own money, but also our angel network, as well as our micro VCs and larger VCs. And then we also help you with publishing deals. That means doing the pitches for you, doing the negotiations, doing the contracts and the amendments. Today, I was on three calls with uh, AAA publishers, for example, negotiating with uh, some of our other studios. So all of that process is done for you so that all you have to do is focus on your game. So we fit perfectly with companies between the size of two people to 20, 30-ish. And we basically take your company to the next level. We help you grow while you can do what you do best, which is being creative and creating content. And to be clear here, you have all the rights. You own the signature. We do not have a power of attorney. We cannot make decisions for you. We can only recommend what we think you should do. Um, we are minority shareholders, so equity investors that never takes more than 11% in your studio. So we're not looking to acquire you either. We are the pre-seed slash first investors, maybe first three that come in. And then we stay with you for, you know, as long as we're partners together. And even though our website says six to nine months uh, program, it's not really true. We work a lot longer than that. Uh, so our studio is from 2017 and 2016. We still work with them on a day-to-day -day basis. Uh, we recently signed a deal with one of them, uh, for example. And I'm sorry, that took a long time. Maybe that wasn't an elevator pitch. Uh, but yeah, that's the long story short of what we do. 
I guess. That's Maybe not uh, that like, short of a story, but <laughs> well, on one of the biggest things with uh, with COVID, and even with uh, even before COVID, like funding is one of those mystery things that uh, developers worldwide still don't know where to go. Uh, like I feel like uh, I've I've done hundreds of these interviews, and a lot of them had to do with uh, interviews that has to do with funding and i'm still not quite 100 percent sure from a to z what to do when i have a game idea and uh it's one of those things that we need that constant reminder especially now um there's so many questions that i have related to this uh so i'll, I'll start spitting them out all right so um obviously we're, we're going through a pandemic like no other before right at least in our lifetime or at least my <laughs> lifetime um this is really new right we're talking about the last one being 1920s, right, uh, where where the world was basically shut down and, and scared. Um, so my question to you is like, how has that affected? Um, you, you mentioned a bit about it uh, with with GTR with funding in general. Uh, I, I kind of joked around in the last few podcasts that like it's impossible to ask for millions in a phone call like this because I don't trust you. <laughs> you just like on a webcam. Has that changed the dynamic at all? Uh, was there an adjustment on behalf of the company uh, or just the general uh, opinion of what's going on right there? Uh, does it I'm gonna, really prevent people from from funding? Yeah, I'm going to answer the question in two ways. One is a rant and one is more uh, <laughs> an actual answer to your question. So I'm not going to go super into like my entire history and what I've been doing, but I basically come from, I was actually going to be a psychiatrist. I come from a psychology background before I magically ended up in gaming and esports. And mm-hmm. I, I kind of understand how e- humans work. And one thing that did, and it's like, yeah, rant first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one thing that I, that has changed is that developers have gotten really lazy Mm -hmm. and i think it's uh two reasons for that number one is that because it's digital developers think that you know oh it's going to be so much easier you know there are tons of events and i can attend all of them they're mostly free they don't cost that much money so i'm just going to go to all of them and just find every contact that i have and then mass email that's like kind of how it feels like for from most of the developers and secondly because of that whole mentality the pitches have gotten so much worse, you know, I, I attended what, like 22 offline events last year. I think I was in 15 different countries over the, over the course of the year, uh, being at all the major events and some smaller ones and even invited by the governments in some countries. And I loved it, you know, and when you sign up to these offline events, they're quite expensive. For example, I'm, I'm actually Swedish. I'm living in Thailand right now. Uh, but I attend Nordic game in my home country and Nordic game is an event that I believe if I recall correctly, I paid 600 euros for it uh, for the actual ticket. And then, you know, add in the flight cost and the hotel cost and everything. It wrapped up to maybe 1500 to 2000 euros for that entire trip. And obviously because I'm spending so much money, I'm, I'm hoping to get a lot of stuff out of it. And it kind of goes into the developers too, because even though the developers tickets are cheaper, they're still spending hotels. Some of them have to fly in. Uh, some of them, you know, yeah, get discounts and whatever, but at the very least you're going to get to a 200 to 300 euro loss if you don't get anything out of the event. So people know that because this is an event that a lot of money has been spent on, they spend so much time on perfecting their profiles. So I would go onto the meet to match system and I would run through the list. Everyone has a completed profile. Everyone has a pitch deck in their profile, a trailer. And I can basically just look at it and be like, yep, schedule meeting or decline meeting, accept meeting. And it was awesome. And I would go to these events overworking myself like crazy because I love the video game industry. And I would do like 15 meetings in a day. In Brazil, I had 60 meetings in three days, mm-hmm. which was never doing that again. But it was so giving, you know? And in our top 40 last year, we had nine Brazilian studios. So that's 25% of, you know, our top 40. And ultimately in the top 20, I think we ended up with three. And that for me is an amazing event for us, right? And yeah, I was super happy. And then to continue the actual rant part is that since these digital events started, I was thinking like, awesome, more events, more games, more studios, so much for me to do. And then I started going through the meet to match and half the profiles don't have any info. So I have to Google the company name or I have to Google the game name or I have to Google the person or go to him on LinkedIn. And, you know, I can tell you that 99, 90% of our partners won't do that. 
our VC partners, our publishing partners, they won't do that. And, you know, I talk to them all the time. They're basically like, all right, you're not putting the time. I'm not going to give a, like, give mm-hmm. a shit, basically. So I'm not sure if I can curse in this podcast, but. Oh, yeah. you can curse. <laughs> Fuck yeah, you can. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's like, I was like so surprised. I'm like, why are you putting less effort just because it's free? So PG Connects was my first event. I was super disappointed and the, the pitches were just really bad. Over time, it got better. But another thing that people are forgetting is that, you know, there are events every week. And, you know, now that we can't travel, I am working until like 2 a.m. You know, I'm sitting up until 2 a.m. to have a call with you in your time zone in America or in Europe. And you can't even bother to give me the full information before the meeting. And then an even worse thing happened is that I'm not kidding. At one of the events three weeks ago, I I scheduled 12 meetings after, you know, Googling all their profiles and everything. The games looked really good. And when the call started, they didn't have a pitch deck. Mm -hmm. They didn't have anything. And that's from people who, you know, even requested a meeting with me where it clearly says, you know, minimum, uh, minimum playable game build, uh, you know, need a pitch deck, et cetera. It says that on our profile. Mm -hmm. And even in some other rare cases, uh, they would send the wrong name. They would, you know, request a meeting with me and it's a copy pasta where they didn't even bother to change my name. Jeez. And that's been going on for the last couple of months. So now that rant is over, the long story is it has changed a lot. Uh, the, I think the general amount of you know, effort the studios put into this is very low. So what I would like to recommend to all of you is that if it is because, you know, you're, I believe it's a psychological thing where it, when something is free, you know, you just don't spend enough, more time on it. You don't consider it as something where, you know, this okay. is a loss. Right. Exactly. But if I, if you're paying for the ticket, even $50, you know, even just 50 bucks, subconsciously, you're going to put in more effort. So I've already given this feedback to every event I've been to. I'm like, I will pay for this digital event. A hundred percent. Charge me $50, $100, $200. Just charge the developers as well. You know, like 25 bucks, 50 bucks. It doesn't matter. There, It's just like, I can't keep having these meetings where it's just a complete waste of both of our time. Um, but on the flip side, you know, with the pandemic, uh, there is actually a lot of potential for funding. I, I would say that I don't know who your previous guests have been and, you know, that they've said uh, that it's harder to find money. And it's actually not true. The only thing that has changed is that it's um, it's a longer process. So actually, I would say that it's actually easier to get money now because we're all stuck in our rooms. We're all... Uh, most of our partners are working more than before, you know, because they're in their chairs anyway, they're in their house anywhere, anyway. So they'll take calls, you know, they'll be more casual, but the due diligence process has almost doubled. So that is very true, especially for million dollar checks. So some of our partners write, write million dollar checks, right. And uh, they've increased their due diligence time from three to six months. And some of them have increased from one month to three. So it's definitely taken a longer time. And for us personally, our angel networks, um, you know, uh, have also been like less, uh, less fast, I guess. Mm-hmm. So you talked about fundraising, right? I have personally raised 600 K euros in angel funding the last two months, mm-hmm. uh, which took me both races took me less than three weeks. Oh. Um, so it's it was like shot. super fast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, was, uh, it was super fast, but at, even though it was super fast, um, it was a different process than before. You know, before, you know, when we when we hand out games to our angel network, it goes very quickly. We'll have fast decisions. But now with COVID, you know, their own businesses are being affected. So they're taking a little bit more time actually doing, you know, due diligence and getting involved in the projects. Um, but for us, nothing's honestly really changed. I'm still talking to our publishers on a daily basis, our investors on a daily basis. It's just the due diligence. And yeah, Sorry, I talk too much. I think you've uh, learned that. No, already. I love so. it, man. Like I said, from one fellow <laughs> podcaster to the next, nothing is better than yeah. the guest talks <laughs> the whole time. People yeah. have this <laughs> bad, bad impression of me that I like talking. But no, man, I like listening uh, way more than talking. So like there's so much, so many layers to this. So I'm glad because what you're saying is kind of ringing true for me because my fear is kind of like the game developer fear is like, oh, there's no more money. There's never money. I have a game idea, but I don't know where to start. But like, uh, even if you follow the stock market, like casually, like people are investing right now out there and they are trying to find a place to park their money and, and not just, yep. you know, and, and grow from, from it. Right. Obviously. And the game sector, if anything, is really blossoming in a huge way. Uh, game industry hasn't been really 
it's pandemic proof ish, right? Uh, yeah. Where <laughs> I, I have friends that are out there still doing what they were doing before, but at home. And so uh, I haven't heard any. This is the longest stretch. And I joke around with my friends all the time that I haven't heard a layoff uh, from major companies, <laughs> which was a thing, right? Uh, being in the game industry, it's yeah. such a thing every two months. But like for some reason, the pandemic, no one gets laid off. It's like, all right, what's, what the hell is this? Uh, so uh, yeah, it's one of those side effects, uh, of course, where it's good collateral you know pandemics obviously pretty awful but like uh for the game industry it's been okay like we've been better than most uh industries yeah i mean we've i mentioned the two 600k races because they were angel rounds but actually this year we've almost reached 5 million total uh usd uh so we've had a very good year with all of our projects that's you know obviously publishers and investors combined but yeah we're hoping to get another three to four million by in the next three months because we're close to closing some deals so for us uh, again nothing's changed the process did take a lot longer and there is one studio that we have been negotiating now for about nine months and it would not have been nine months without covid so i'm not here to say that nothing nothing's changed but um Generally, though, companies have a lot of money and we are unaffected. And something that I'm, I'm not sure, you know, which which countries your audience is from, but at least our own studios have gotten tons of benefits from the government. And like you said, game developers haven't actually been affected. Game sales have actually you know, gone up. So for our companies, we've been benefiting out of this, right? In terms of grants, in terms of uh, getting like government support. But then of course there is the other aspect, which is, you know, if you have children, which some of our studio heads do, that's been a huge strain, of course, being able to work while you have kids next to you all the time that you need to take care of. So that has delayed some of our games, which is totally understandable. Um, we have, of course, also have the actual psychological effect, like some people are getting, you know, very down and and depressed and myself included. Uh, I'm a very extrovert person. So sitting in my room is awful. But I'm lucky that, you know, I'm in Thailand and we haven't had any cases in three months and the wow. life has been normal and yeah, life has been normal for six. So we were out of our office for two months between March and May. And then we went back to office in June and we've been there ever since. And uh, yeah, I mean, all restaurants, bars, public transport, everything's open. So I, I'm, I'm okay now. But the first, those two months was probably one of the hardest periods in my life. <laughs> yeah, man. I'm I, not I, really I hear you. I, I feel like that was um, the consensus was that the, that limit was was definitely there. Uh, <laughs> because at first we were like, oh well, I'll just catch up all to all to the. Uh, Steam games that I, I've been buying but haven't played. But like that two month mark was pretty much where I was, where I was like, all right, I need to go outside and do something else because this is just too much. Um, yeah. And uh, it, it's, it's tough. It, it's definitely tough because uh, I don't know. I, I live in California and we just recently had those fires. So we, there was even like a hardcore two weeks on top of that where I couldn't go outside and breathe normal air so like this year definitely is a a strain uh even though our industry's gotten better um there's still like a lot of coping to do uh to figure this out right it's not like all smooth and a lot of that has to do with uh you know being away from the computer for a little time yeah but uh of course we had the unfortunate mm -hmm. you know uh uh, misbehavior in the industry at the beginning of the year as well. So, I mean, I think we've had a rocky year for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it can only go up from here. I mean, most of the people that were involved in all the drama have been, you know, uh, laid off or been moved out. And I think, you know, we should all really work towards making the industry a generally better place. And, you know, of course, we, uh, on our side as well, attending all of these events, like, and to anyone else who does, you know, you know, uh, just make sure that, you you know put a stop to it if you see something happening um especially now digitally as well there's a lot of uh misbehavior going on and, you know messages going around everywhere so and that's the only thing i think that has been you know unfortunate over the last few months in terms of our own industry and our own networking that's going on but again i think we can only go up from here and once everyone gets back and can see each other's faces again mm-hmm. you know have a beer and and talk games i think we'll be better than ever But most importantly is that every studio out there, like there is money 
there's a lot of money out there. And, you know, people like us, we are, of course, pre-seed and smaller funding ourselves. But through our network, as I mentioned, we've raised almost five mil this year. And I mean, other our partners have acquired studios. They've invested in studios. Um, nothing's changed, guys. It's just have a little bit more patience. And most importantly, put more effort into your pitches. I don't, there's no point in attending every event every week. I stopped doing so five months ago. Just take your pick and then put in double the effort in that particular event instead of draining yourself. Otherwise you're going to, you know, just burn out from being at events every week. And yeah. that's pretty much. Well, let's, let's dive into that. The process, right? So I have a gate, a great game idea. Well, I, as in the listeners and viewers out there, uh, let's talk about the next steps because I feel like this, the step two, step three is the, the hardest for people to wrap their head around. But it, when, when discussing with people like you, it seems very obvious, right? To, to kind of like seek out funding and interest. And, um, you mentioned events and kind of like focusing on a particular event. Is that the move? Usually go to these events, be public facing and, and just put yourself out there for potential funders or investors. Yeah. Yes. And no. So what, what I say, uh, I, we're currently, of course, finalizing our programs. I've been in a lot of uh, speaker sessions and, and podcasts and stuff, and I've talked about this in, in various others. But uh, one of the things I always say is building up an early community. Uh, it's you know like taking advantage of your friends and family as well as people on Reddit, Twitter, Facebook groups. You know, we like to see a studio that have either pre-concept or during concept or at MVP stage, start spreading like GIFs and uh, and trailers and small posts on Twitter, you know, do, using the appropriate hashtags and, and building up like a, a feedback base of 100 to 500 people. That is like a really good start. And then you can aggregate all of this into a funnel of your choice. I personally prefer Discord. And then you just communicate with these people all the time in, in a way to help improve your game. And when you come to the pitching stage and you feel like you're ready to start looking for funding, you can show the feedback from your testers because I'll, uh, because I'm pre-seed again, I'm not hundred percent certain uh, of like how large of studios that watch your podcast are, but from the research I did on you, it seems to be, you know, the sizes that I'm looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you are in our sizes, then definitely you need to have some sort of proof of concept. It can be players testing it. It can be you painting up a great idea of who you're going to be targeting. So to dig into that more is that what I always say is, number one, you need a pitch deck of 10 to 15 slides. I think that's enough. A lot of you send me 35, 50 pages. Not going to read that. And because you need to kind of you know, get me interested first, then I'm going to ask you for 30 to 60 slides or, or more documents. So 10 to 15, that basically covers, you know, the, the background of you and your company and your team members. And that includes regardless if you have AAA experience or, you know, you worked for Blizzard or you just came out of college, it doesn't matter. I want we want to know more about you because we invest in people, not obviously us being the first money or the pre-seed where the so-called dumb money, right? We come in before anyone else. So for us, it's super important that we understand who you are as a person. So that is your, you know, your education or your pet peeves or projects you've done before, outsourcing, anything that is relevant to you, your team members and the company. Uh, second of all is, of course, the game, the game itself. Like, why is your game unique? And not, and, and here comes the kicker that I've been adding to all of my uh, speaker sessions uh, recently is stop putting a slide that says global market is worth XX billion dollars or P I'm targeting PC gamers, 18 to 35 male global, and I'm going to catch 5% of the total market. I'm sorry, but that slide is a complete waste of space and just shows me that you do not understand your game or your business. And that's okay. That's something we can work on. So it's not an instant no from us, but just as a gentle reminder, us, larger publishers, larger VCs, it's a stupid slide. Mm -hmm. Rather, what we want to see is who did you create your project for? Like, what is your intended base? And you, you can be completely wrong in this. That's totally okay. I just want to see like, okay, you came up with, let's say a Metroidvania with a 2D art style and you're using uh, influx from, let's say Thai culture. I'm using Thai because I'm here. And you know that this type of culture fits Southeast Asia really well. And you also know that it's like trending between the ages of 18 to 35 
male and female. So now your slide can input all of those details where you know that your game is going to succeed or you know you project that it's going to succeed in Southeast Asia because you have a unique Metroidvania with 2D graphics, with an influx of this type of culture, so that you're now targeting a much smaller player base. And I can see that you, you, know, you planned for this early. You knew that this particular type of audience would like it. Awesome. Let's work around that and figure out how we can go more global, either after the Southeast Asian launch or before launch. You know, we can figure out how to launch more globally together. But that is a good pitch, you know, because I understand why you created the project, who you created the project for, and why it's going to succeed in that particular market. Because the thing is that, you know, your gaming company is a business. You need to make money to survive and you need to make money for people like me to want to invest in your company. So if you don't have a proper business plan, you know, how can we give you cash to actually develop it? Right. And no one can hit the global market. And we're not expecting a indie or a double a studio to spend $5 million in marketing. You might only have 50 to hundred to 150 K which means it's even more important to understand who you're targeting rather than this is the market research, right? Now, this can be done in another way too, where you compare yourself and benchmark yourself to other projects and their success, right? That's a very standard slide where you show the USPs of your game versus your competitors. That works too. I just personally prefer the target market thing. And I do believe that some of our partners are moving more into that as well, because I think people have started to realize that, look at Free Fire. If you don't know that game, well, that's fine because NAEU doesn't. But in Brazil, it's the biggest game by far. And in Latin America, it's about to become the biggest game in the entire region. And they have 3 million live viewers during the national Brazilian tournament, I think, six months ago. That is crazy. That is bigger than Counter-Strike, League of Legends, and all of these companies in one single country. And Free Fire is also massive in Southeast Asia. But again, no one knows the game in NAEU, right? And that just goes to show that you only need to hit like one piece, not the global piece. I'm interested in what pieces are you trying to you know, fit together. And then we can help you on the business side with actually assigning these pieces or these pizza slices, we can call them, to different partners. So for example, we don't expect you to be able to publish globally, either with a publisher or yourself. So we can you know, help you delegate uh, a Japanese partner, a Korean partner or whatever, depending on where you want to target. So that's something that we do for our studios too. But other than the market research and the competitor stuff, of course, um, so most of the time uh, you guys forget you know, to put in how much money you need and what you're going to spend it on. So financial slides can be one to two. It's a, like you know, 500K euro race. Great. But what does that tell me? Uh, please you know, include how much money you're raising, uh, why you're raising it, and obviously which type of funding. Because if you give me a deck for a publisher, man, again, you're, I'm just like, you didn't even bother reading what I do. And that's happened a lot of times too. So uh, why are you raising the money? Are you okay with both product funding and equity? Great. That can be one deck then, one slide. So uh, just make sure that you include how much you're raising, why you're raising it, how you're intending to do it, equity, project funding, whatever, and how are you going to distribute and spend it? And I also really appreciate an extra slide there of, you know, what's the expansion plan of your team if you're going to be hiring a lot of people? Like what roles are they and how are you going to be building it out? So I would say normally that the, the game pitch could be between four and six slides. Uh, six is okay. You know, USPs, what the game is, link to the build if you have one, trailers, stuff like that. Uh, I think you get, generally most pitches I read about the game are actually pretty good. It's the part about the company, the future of the fundraising that a lot of developers lack. So I think, you know, you know what to do. Most of you know what to do on the game slides. You just need to put a little bit of extra effort on the company in the future. Um, and yeah, and finally, what is the future of your company? Do you want to be a three-man studio for the next 20 years? Or do you want to grow into 20 people? Do you want to use the same IP for the next five to 10 years? Or are you going to be doing other games? You know, tell us more. So to finish off the, <laughs> my, my long story again uh, is I usually say have three pitch decks. Have one general one you use to send out an email. I use it as a teaser or whatever, like when you do cold emails. And uh, secondly, have one for publishers and have a third one for investors. And then you can spread these depending on the party. Now, the final kicker of any pitch deck is the extra two slides in the appendix of why I should invest in you. What I mean by that is like, okay, you reached out to me to schedule a meeting. Why is Global Top Run a good partner for you? Or why is Raw Fury a good partner for you? Or why is Tencent a good partner for you? Those two slides, not a lot of, 
not a lot of companies do, but trust me, they will want, make us want to ask for your 40 deck, like your 40 page deck. So if you can add in, you know, especially on cold emails on LinkedIn, uh, all of those add in a slide as to why this particular publishing partner will be a perfect fit for you. For example, with Raw Fury, you've you've released games like this before. You know how to market it. Uh, I, I've seen you do X, Y, and B. You know, those two slides are super cool. Not a necessity, but you know, if you can tell any investor or publisher why they should work with you, it's it's awesome. And I just realized I kind of completely didn't really answer your question <laughs> on the whole event side. But <laughs> no, 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 no. I think you you kind of yeah. did. Um, yeah, I can continue if you want. Or I no, no, let, let's go ahead and continue. Yeah, like, um, okay. <laughs> so I'm asking from the ignorance of uh, of the viewers out there. I know this stuff, right? I know this stuff. But like, <laughs> I'm asking on ignor- on behalf of the listeners out there, like, because the first the first usually response when they have a game idea is that they would go to events and just randomly try to pick up some interests, right? Yeah. But what you're saying is you can start building an audience day one uh, to kind of help kind of tailor your game idea uh, into something that is something that people want to buy. Right. And this helps with you guys on the other side to see that there is some traction, some or at least some uh, some some potential for traction uh, just from this small group of people and it ha- helps with the business side of things because i I, th- I think you're completely correct with game developers focusing on the games and yeah and if anything it should be 50 50 with business development uh to because it is a business it's a piece of entertainment that eventually you want to sell it's not just a garage game that you just want to put out in the world and just pray for the which is what <laughs> what most business plans are for game developers to just pray uh pretty much spray and pray um with, with their games um but yeah with with events you were mentioning you were kind of like downsizing that uh can you kind of talk about its relevance nowadays especially especially with digital events are like how effective are they uh how much of your time percentage wise should you dedicate to planning it doing it and following up on it uh, versus to the whole development and, and getting funding process. Right. So especially in like early projects, which most of the indie developers are in because they haven't raised the full funding to scale up production yet. Right. I, I usually, again, like recommend the three types of decks and you should be updating them on a two to three month basis. So it's not a weekly thing. And you also do not need to finalize your entire budget breakdown, your entire like, uh, uh, tech roadmap forever, like in that first pitch, because a lot of you also add like all of this into the deck and trust me, it will change, especially when you get a partner on board. So usually what I say, especially if you're early again, start with that 10 to 15 page pitch, you know, focus on building up that initial community and start attending yes events. So what I normally say is that actually Twitter is one of the best B2B platforms for game, the gaming industry. Uh, people think it's LinkedIn. And while that is true, Twitter is actually better because every publisher, every investor, um, a lot of these random like pitch a game from Liam. I don't know his last name, but Liam something does a great Twitter contest called pitch a game uh, once a month, which is really cool. And, you know, you can reach out and tag us uh, on Twitter, you know, like just be like, oh, hey, I got this cool pitch. This is a two minute trailer. Do you want to talk some more? Uh, we read our Twitter all the time. We check our timelines because all of the publishers and investors, we, we follow each other. We all have each other on Twitter. We read our uh, each other's timelines. So tagging us in these timelines is totally fine. You know, like just toss in a GIF or toss in uh, toss in a, a trailer. That's a great way to grab our attention and just like randomly get a DM from me a little bit later. And that's something that people forget because Twitter is actually really good. Secondly, is LinkedIn. So LinkedIn is usually something I follow up with, of course, after the the events. So to scale, uh, go back in the process. Uh, when you attend an offline or a digital event, and I'll go into the pros and cons right after, but uh, once you've completed the, you know, your pitch and, you know, you've given uh, the speaker speech to me, uh, whatever, regardless of how you think the, uh, the pitch went, you know, try to add us on LinkedIn. It's a great way to have a secondary uh, aspect uh, for, for you to contact us on because we are all humans and we get so many pitches all the time. And sometimes we will miss emails, even if we have systems in place and spreadsheets and, and different types of trackers, 
we will sometimes forget. And I don't mind getting pinged on LinkedIn saying like, hey, did you read my email 10 days ago or seven days ago? That's okay. And if I, if I don't accept you, then, you know, no harm, no foul, right? It doesn't take you that long to send a connection request with a note that, hey, you know, it's nice speaking to you. Uh, here is my game pitch and trailer again as well, you know, to have that secondary uh, contact. And also, this will allow you to also see what we're doing on LinkedIn when we're sharing new things. Like, you know, we're looking for this type of genre or the global top run applications are open so that you can keep an eye on there as well. Now, social media channels aside... Uh, actually, I have one more. I forgot about this one. The fourth one is Discord game communities. There are a lot of game communities right now, like the UK, uh, which is for UK companies, the UK, UKIE uh, game development community, where all the companies are helping each other and where the administrators will regularly post stuff that we're doing and other publishers and investors. So getting in there and getting your name shown, posting some trailers, some clips is a great way for you to get connected as well. And there are tons of these everywhere and they're free to join. There is also a Me to Match one where I'm in and all of our partners are in as well, where you can just post a screenshot or a trailer. Super good way of doing like social media uh, pushing. Now, for events themselves, uh, how much time you should spend on it? I would say, depending on the studio size, of course, I would say that at least two days per week, if you are the CEO or the founder, you should and when I say two days per week, I don't mean like Monday, Tuesday, nothing, Wednesday, Friday. I mean hourly. Hour-wise, you should be spending almost 40 to 50% of your time actually reaching out to partners, actively looking for funding, keeping us updated on what you're, what's going on. Because just because we passed the game doesn't mean that we can't relook at it again later on. There is a time. So for uh, offline events... Pick, you know, take your picks. Uh, I would say maybe five per year because for smaller companies, because again, they're expensive. They cost flights, they cost hotel, they cost tickets. Uh, try to speak to your local governments because a lot of the governments out there have awesome, awesome ways to support you. Like Quebec uh, covers, I think, 70% of your travel costs or something. Not every government is that awesome, but it's a great example um, so that you can fly to these events. And the reason I say five is because it doesn't, attending 20 of them doesn't really help you. Um, the point of attending these offline events is for you to pitch in front of me and regard disregarding if I actually, um, pick you or not right now, you know, you have my business card, you have my contact, we have spoken, I will remember your face so that if you come back to me six or 12 months later with an improved build with an improved pitch deck and, and, and breakdown, you know, I'm like, Oh yeah, we met six months ago. So I think five is kind of like a good number because it's like once a quarter ish, so you get to re, you know, arrive to the parties once a quarter, catch up with us once a quarter in person. And then for the digital event side, a year ago, I would have had different feedback. But right now, I would say one event every two weeks. Um, attending them every week is going to burn you out. You're only going to get more demotivated because if you haven't signed a deal after attending six months of, uh, of pitches, you know, something's wrong with your pitch. You know, if no one's getting back to you, Either your game's not good enough or your pitch not good enough, your pitch is not good enough. So then you need to go back to the drawing board instead of going over and over and over until it finally hits something. So once every two weeks, you know, taking your picks, doing your research, which publishers are here, which investors are here. And again, guys, not the two slides for why we should partner with you is not only for us, it's for you too. Like really think about who you want to work with. It's not just about signing any publisher that gives you the money or any investor that gives you the money that makes us less interested. So research the events and, you know, make a list for yourself. So what I do myself is because I do the business development for all of our own investments, right? I take care of the publisher and investor relations is that I make a list of tier one, two, and three. So tier one being, these are the partners that are the best for this game. These are the partners that I know will be good. And these are the partners that we are okay to partner with. Anything below tier three, you should just delete. Getting money from random people is never going to help you in the long term. Like once you've taken someone's money, you're in debt to them. You know, yeah. you need to pay them back by succeeding with your company. And, you know, if you just take money from anyone and, you know, they don't understand you, they can't add any strategic value or help you with the company. What are you like? How is that going to make you successful long-term? Right. Yeah. So yeah. Once every two weeks and, you know, spend more effort and don't update your deck every day. Like once maximum once a month, you should be updating your deck. Obviously if something cool happens, you know, throw it in there. But I, I, I mean, <laughs> I'm using this as an example because one of our own studios and he will know who I'm talking about without mentioning his name, mm -hmm. gives me a new deck every goddamn week. And it's oh. so long. I'm like I'm like, dude, stop. Sounds like a make designer. it like, <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> so, Nailed it. <laughs> uh, 
I'm like, stop, man. Like, just you know, make a pitch, stick with it. If it doesn't work, we can re- rearrange it. Yeah. yeah. Well, the one thing, the one person that talks more than podcasters is the designer. So I totally get it. <laughs> <laughs> they over pitch. Uh, but this yeah. kind of leads me into like a something that um, I was thinking about. Like, obviously, you've seen a million pitches, right? Uh, good and bad. Yeah. Um, so just to dissect that a bit. What were the best impression ones generally, specifically, you don't have to name any names and the worst, right? What, what didn't work? What was so horrible about it? And um, lastly, you know, what can people learn from that? Oh, that's a good question. I'm going to go back into my own studios and call them out here. Um, <laughs> you find um, Let's burn them. Yes. Yeah, so I'll take this team as an example, because I think it's a really good actual success story of what I just spoke about for the last 15 mm-hmm. minutes is uh, Clover Creek Entertainment's one of our uh, investment. Well, sorry, they haven't gotten our money yet. They're getting our money in the next two, two weeks. Uh, but it's a finished studio that we invited. Like they became top 20 last year and we ended up passing on them. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think they'll mind me saying this, but if not, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> when they came to us with the pitch, uh, the pitch was short, which is perfect, but the information wasn't that relevant. And also because of my background and my, and my experience, especially in their genre, which is RTS, I saw their pitch and I'm like, and I think they were asking for like $150,000 if I remember or euros in their first pitch. I literally walked up to them right after the pitch at our event. And I said that this, uh, if I made this game, the exact way uh, that you want to make it, I would make this with a million euros. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to be re- required to make this a success. Your budget's stupid. It doesn't mm-hmm. make sense. And this is not your project. That's pretty much what I told them right there, uh, then and there. Uh, I said that it can be doable with way less money, of course. I was talking, you know, double A ish. Um, mm-hmm. And that I, that I recommend them to go back and look at the total roadmap, look at their, uh, their project, and, you know, really dig into the numbers. And on top of that, when we actually played the game, it wasn't that great. Like mm-hmm. the, the actual pitch, the uniqueness of the game and everything was amazing. Like I loved it. And I told my team, I'm like, I don't want to sign them right now, but I kind of want to sign them on the idea alone. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's such a smart game and it doesn't exist. And majesty is their only close uh, competitor. And, and most people won't even know that game. Um, so yeah, we ended up passing on them, uh, but because they had such an amazing idea and I could really tell that the team was super passionate and they're a really talented bunch. And I liked them as people, you know, but the game just wasn't there. I reached out to them in January again this year. And I basically said that, um, yeah, Hey, you know, what's up guys. Uh, again, I hope, you know, uh, what, how, how are things going? Do you guys have a new build for me? And they sent it over and just the, the biggest issue back in their pitch at our event was the AI. The AI mm-hmm. was not high enough quality. Um, because it's an it's an RTS RPG simulator. It sounds complicated. Um, and then in January they sent it to me and I was like, wow, the game has improved so much in three months, but the AI is still really bad. So I told them that you guys fixed this AI. I will sign you right away. They came back another two or three months later, we signed them and now we're going to invest in them. So it's a great example of, you know, me, because I love the uniqueness of their pitch, even though it wasn't the most concrete pitch ever, the game wasn't complete. They knew exactly what they were doing. X, obviously not the budget part, but they knew what they, what they were creating. They weren't super familiar, you know, on the whole business aspect of how much the project would cost because they believed that they could make it with that small budget and they could, but I saw the potential of making it bigger. So now the project is 400,000 euros instead of 150. And that's what we're currently, you know, helping them uh, negotiate with some of our partners. And I love the game out of all of our games. I've actually played this one the most. And this is a game. This is a game that I openly told them that it's a bad pitch. You know, we passed on the game and now, you know, we're working with them. It's a, it's a, so yeah, I would say that is one of the worst and best pitches I've ever gotten because, uh, you know, The budget was wrong. You know, the game wasn't great, but the idea was so good. The team members themselves were really good. And that's really what matters for us. It's about finding those really talented, uh, you know, team members that can create an awesome project. And that is Clover Creek Entertainment. And that's why, you know, we're recommending them to our partners because it's an amazing team. And, you know, with us at their side, we'll make sure to help them on the business side. Um, Another one to give you like another bad example. Uh, I guess I should make a good example too, but a bad example is uh, 
uh, and that's because of language barrier only. We have a company that has a game called uh, Chronosword, and I actually found them randomly at an, in Korea in a random venue. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I just saw them on the floor, and I just looked down, and my colleague came to me, and she's like, Pontus, I think you'll like this game. And I walked over and it was just freaking awesome. Like it's a 2D, like Dark Souls type of title. And I looked at it and I'm like, okay, we need this. And then I started talking to the developers, you know, and they sent over the material and the presentation was not great. You know, Mm -hmm. I would rate it at probably at the bottom, but the gameplay spoke for itself. So the game, you know, really sealed the deal. And then the team itself, when we met them, uh, despite the language barrier, absolutely loved them. And we're, we're super excited to work with them. Uh, so, you know, sometimes your game itself can win me over, even though that pitch, though, if I read the pitch first, I'd be like, eh, but I, you know, I, I saw the game, I played it amazing. And then as an actual good pitch, then I'll take a big moxie game. So it's one of our investments from last year as well. I used three recent examples because they're the most relevant. Uh, they're an American Brazilian hybrid studio and the game honestly wasn't that good. Uh, you know, when we played the game in uh, last year at the event, you know, we were, uh, I can't go into full detail, but we were thinking to pretty much like skip on the project. But the founder, Damon, is amazing. Like he's probably one of the best founders we have. He knows how to present himself. He understands business. He wrote up the business plan really good. It was a long deck, um, but it was fine because he hooked me. In the first 10 slides, he brought out all the USPs, who he's targeting and why. You know, Everything I mentioned earlier in what I like in a pitch was in the first 10 slides. After that, he kept expanding on the project, on the roadmap, what he needed, different budgets even. You know, like I can make the game with this budget, this budget and that budget, but this is the money that, you know, this is my vision, you know, so that we could actually like understand that he knows how to make a game mm-hmm. and he broke everything down in individual stages based on IP, based on future IP, based on sequels. What happens if the game doesn't work out? You know, like if the game fails, what does he do? That was also there. So he had one of the best pitches that, uh, well, today he still has one of the best pitch decks I've ever seen. And he presents himself in a perfect pa- fashion. Um, so I would say that he carried it by his persona and by his intelligence, as well as his pitch deck. Because the game was not ready to get us signed back then. Now it's freaking amazing. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's developed a lot. And it's going to be one of our biggest studios for sure. So that, that actually leads into my, one of my last questions here about budgeting, right? Budgeting is one of those scary slides where, um, <laughs> where I feel like you're either... Like undershooting it from hearing from your story, it sounds like less common than overshooting it. Uh, am I, is my instincts correct on this? Because we're we're, no, so we're constantly unaware with that. Yeah. What what I say, uh, but this is a really honestly bad advice. Like uh, because you only have one one chance to impress us with your first pitch. I mean, what people yeah. say is that you only have one chance. Yes and no. You have one chance to really impress us right away because if you don't, you know, yeah, I'll read your email. You know, I'll come back to you, but you'll be in the backlog, right? Yeah. Uh, but I personally kind of like when they explain what they can do with different types of the budget. So like I said on him, you know, he had three tiers and, you know, we can help him set that up ourselves later on. We can come in with our expertise and be like, this is what it should be, which we have now. And now we have a perfect plan, but he could basically say that, you know, I want to create this project. That should be your 10 to 15 pitch. You don't need to include more than one budget. So what I normally say at in the 10 to 15 pitch, what is the vision for your project? How much money do you actually need? How much expansion plan do you actually need? And that should be your one and only number. And then later on, when we get on a call, you can explain, or even during the pitch during the event, you can explain, you can also make the uh, game medium size or a smaller size, because that's good. It l- lets me understand, you know, okay, like you're, you're able to deliver, you know, the project at a good quality, a great quality and an amazing quality. And we are expecting you to understand like what kind of budget you need to finish your game in the way you envisioned it. I'm not expecting you to know that, oh, if we sign, I don't know, Sega and you get double the budget, you don't need to know that in our first meeting. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there is a high chance that when we come on board or when another partner come on board, we'll change the budget and we'll sit down with you and we'll build up a plan based on our experience that makes more sense. But in that initial pitch, the only number that you should be showing us is the vision of your game. 
if the vision of your game is half a million dollars, then you're going to show us half a million dollars. You can explain to us what 250K looks like in the call. You can explain to us what 750K looks like in the call. Of course, the higher amount you're asking for, the more we're going to dig into the background of you and your team. So that is the flip side, right? Like if you're coming to us with $2 million requests, then there has to be a big explanation as to why previous projects you have released or something for us to be able to sign off such a big ticket size right away. To give you an insider tip is that anything above half a million dollars, you'll get a lot of scrutiny on you and your team. Mm -hmm. So what that means is that if you're asking for more than half a million, there's going to be a lot of calls on every single member on your team, getting an introduction on you, understanding your, you know, your psych and your, and your background education, whatnot, other projects below half a million, you can pretty much sign without an in-person meeting uh, with just your pitch and your game. And then, you know, getting on a couple of calls, it's not that hard in quotation marks. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. And in comparison to a larger budget. Um, so that is the only thing you should think, uh, think of that. If you do go above half a million, expect a lot of questions, a lot of due diligence and a lot of, you know, why do you, how can you deliver this type of project if you haven't done it before? Um, that it doesn't really answer your question to be honest, but it is, it is really a hard question. I mean, uh, because for me, my, I want to see, you know, all three stages of the project you can deliver, but other VCs might be like, Oh, you should know that your project is exactly $1 million because of ABC. Right. We're a little bit more flexible because we're pre-seed. So I, not a single one of the companies that we invested in last year kept their budgeting plan that they pitched us because we came in and we changed it. <laughs> right. So, so, yeah. so, yeah. so I totally hear you. So uh, if I have a million dollar project, here's a part one and part two game. <laughs> and I'll be able to kind of pitch it. But like, uh, that's another question too. When it comes to um, initial funding, right? And this happens a lot, obviously, unless you're a good planner, unless you've been experienced enough. And even if you are experienced, right, it's very difficult to kind of um, not go over budget. Right? In, in cases like that, what do you say to teams where you're, you're finally funding them and they're like, hey, we actually need six more months? I mean, what kind of warning shots do you appreciate as a publisher, the man with the money uh, to, to kind of uh, what, what are the warning signs that you want people to to avoid uh, to, to prevent asking for money later? Yeah. So the warning, the warning sign is always the budget slide. And it is one of the most important slides in the entire deck. It's like, then that's why I mentioned the three different ones, because if you're able to break it down to me, why you're spending a, B and C, these three different uh, project sizes, you know, we can tell that you understand like how much a project will cost and like what you can deliver with different budgets. So for example, one of the reasons why uh, Big Moxie's games pitch uh, increased was because we added a level editor, uh, potentially. We haven't even put that into the plan, but you know, we might do a level editor and that would require additional budget, right? Um, so we, I, we want to see that you at least understand basic finance, like how much are your new roles going to be costing? How much are uh, your new uh, extra features like a level editor or a friend system or a new multiplayer system or an anti-cheat, whatever it may be, you should be pre-budgeting for all of that. Also software, hardware, all of these things that sound kind of basic when I say it, but from reading, you know, a thousand pitches, it's not as basic as you think. Um, and most importantly is that I always negotiate for a six month buffer. So if you tell me that the game is going to be released in January I'll prepare a pitch for you towards our publishing and investment partners with an extra six months because yes, game development always has delays, number one, but number two is that you need to plan out, you know, post launch because if your game uh, fails or doesn't recoup fast enough, you're going to sit there with no salaries for you and your team members. So you should always be budgeting three to six months extra. I try for six months, gets like a couple of, you know, frowned eyes upon, but hmm. three months is the minimum always add that in. And that is uh, for two reasons for yourself, uh, number one, but also for me to feel a little bit more safe that you know that if there's potential delays, or if the game doesn't launch perfectly the first month, you know, you have a little bit of extra cash to make it through. Uh, so that's usually what we recommend. So yeah, I want to see at least in the initial meeting and in the initial pitches, you know, the budget slides should can be very easily broken down into pie charts of, you know, development costs, office costs, uh, hardware, et cetera. And then when you send us the full budget breakdown, which can be later, you know, 
what are the new positions going to be? What is the average salary you're expecting from all of them? And, you know, how long do you need them on board? Are they going to be outsourced or in-house? And again, three to six months uh, of an extra buffer. Um, and you obviously, that's what you're going to tell the publishers and investors as well. This is not something you lie about. You tell them that, you know, we were requesting three months extra to, you know, for you to be able to recoup first most of the time and for us to have that extra money for the first couple of months. Uh, and, you know, that shows the publisher and the investor too, that, you know, you're, you care about your employees, you care about your company and you're not expecting an instant success because look mm -hmm. at how many games fail out there. Right. Or for example, among us, the game that is so popular now everywhere, it failed its first two years. Right. And now it sold a ridiculous amount of copies. Mm -hmm. So just try to budget on a way where, you know, your company and your employees are safe. That's a, a thing that doesn't need to be part of your pitch deck. It's something that we'll talk to you about is that, you know, all investors and all publishers, at least the good ones care about you as a company. They want your employees to be happy. They want them to be well taken care of. And I'll use a very quick example where we were pitching one of our UK publishing partners in January this year, I think. And when we were in the due diligence meeting, you know, um, I don't remember well, I don't think I can say, but let's, it's a seven digit number. Okay. And when we were going over the budget slide, the publisher was like, you know, uh, all of this makes sense, but you know, the, he asked the CEO, don't you need like an extra one or two people? You know, like it looks like you're going to be CEO. You're going to be game designer. You're going to be wearing all these different hats and we're scared that you're going to burn out. You know, we'd much rather see you add in an extra person or two, make the company atmosphere better, you know, build out your business because the publishers will work with you again. You make a good, successful project with them, they'll come back. So it's in their best interest for your company to be really, really good and strong, just as it is for you. And that's something that you might sometimes forget is that, you know, we, we invest into people, investors invest into people, publishers Invest in the people too, even though they're paying for your game and they're expecting the game to succeed. If your employees aren't happy and they aren't feeling safe, your game's not going to be as good. So I'd even say on the budget slide, I'm okay with an extra, whatever, 50K a year, if that helps your company and it helps your team. And trust me, so does the publishers and the investors. The only thing you need to explain is like, why the extra 50K? And if you tell it in a story that I just did, uh, or like that my team did, it's a great example. Yeah, I think sustainability beats one hit wonders all the time. Uh, yes. I think business wise, we, we always want like developers to be building games healthily because nothing's worse than having a, a great game and then never seeing that person ever again because they quit the industry, become like, you know, uh, working somewhere else <laughs> and which we hear a lot. Like people get burned out all the time. So uh we are at the hour mark. I want to congratulate you for Hello. making it to an hour with me. Uh, and uh, this is the time where I hand over the mic to you to kind of give a shout out, give attention to how do people who have a great idea right now get in contact with you and be on behalf of your company. All right. Yeah. First of all, thank you for inviting me. I didn't realize it's been an hour already. Again, I, I talked too much. Sorry, viewers. No, uh, and I probably could have kept talking for you know several <laughs> more hours. But uh, this is the first B2B podcast in a long time. So again, I appreciate you allowing me to talk about GTR and, and the gaming industry. So yeah, uh, you're looking to find a business partner, someone to help grow your team. If you're whether you're two people or 20, we're really good at that. It's what we've been doing for the last five years. There are tons of success cases you can read about uh, and a lot of interviews going out right now. Uh, you can also reach out to me at any point in time. We're a super transparent company. We can ask, ask any question. We always say there are no dumb questions. Uh, not for us because, you know, there might be some things that you're scared about you don't understand. Just reach out. And, you know, we don't, of course, work for free. But if you want, you have a quick question, ping me, you know, send me a Twitter DM, tag me on Twitter or whatever or, or on LinkedIn. We want to help the industry. It's what we've been doing for five years. We started the accelerator to help small companies scale. So if you are a developer right now, you're looking for funding. If you're in pre-seed, seed stage, like before series A, you can go to globaltopround.com. You can send in your pitch deck, uh, your trailer, as well as your, uh, as your game build. We require a minimum playable build because, again, we're here to scale you, not to help you make your prototype. So we're here to... As an example, our Brazilian studio, we invested when they were two, they're 35 now. That's what we want to do. We're not looking for a company who 
wants to stay three people for the next 10 years, we want to help you become a sustainable business. So head on over to Global Top Round and, you know, send in your company. If this is something that sounds interesting to you, you need business development help. You need someone like me to help you do a lot of the heavy lifting with publishing partners and investment partners. We might be a great fit for you. If you think you got all of that coverage yourself, uh, to be honest, our own funding is not that much. We invest uh, a maximum of 100K of our own cash and 400K inclusive of our angel round, but it goes in stages. You cannot get access to our angel funding before you use ours. And that is meant as a due diligence slash vetting process as well. Because when we see you improve the game, we're willing to give you more and more money over time before we then present you for the big checks. For example, part of that 5 million we talked about this year. So yeah, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting a couple of really cool pitches and uh, if you want to check out, you know, the other company that we're working on, I'm not going to plug it fully, but gameround.co, it's a way to get your game tested and analyzed and find that market insight data I talked about. You can check it out as a user. Uh, it's completely free. There's no cost or anything. You just sign up, test a couple of the games. It's a great way uh, to get your game analyzed. And yeah, sorry again, going over time here, but uh, it was a great, uh, great being on the podcast. Yeah, man, dude, all great info. It's one of the biggest questions, uh, especially during COVID that I'm trying to get the info out there for the listeners, because there's a lot of people, obviously, with time in their hands and uh, and money. And I'm just trying to find a way to connect it to because it seems like it's always a dark road until I have someone like you on uh, to explain like it's not that bad. And it kind of motivates people to like, all right, maybe I need to get out of my house well, virtually uh, to start pitching. <laughs> But uh, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, another great episode. Uh, I want to, you know, welcome you back anytime that you want. And that's pretty much it, man. I'll see you guys all next week. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you are liking the podcast, go to the Apple iTunes store and give Game Dev Unchained a five-star rating. This will help spread the joy and love and exposure for the podcast, and we thank you very much. If you want to continue the conversation, go to our Discord, which can be found on our website, www.gamedevunchained.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at BlueChamps, B-L-U-C-H-A-M-P-S. You want to catch these episodes live every Tuesdays and Thursdays, go to twitch.tv forward slash blue underscore champs. Email me any of your concerns or questions that you want me to read aloud at the beginning of each episode at info at gamedevunchained.com. And if you want to further support us and help unlock the next feature, which is the voicemail future, go to patreon.com forward slash blue champs this gives listeners a chance to kind of call in leave a message for both me and the guests to answer your deepest darkest questions and comment on your deepest darkest secrets thank you everybody